On today's episode, I have the privilege of speaking to Chandler J. She is a trademark lawyer and she specializes in helping entrepreneurs protect their IP. Whether you're in need of a contract for a certain part of your business or you're trying to figure out what is the best way to protect your IP, she knows the answer. On this episode, she is sharing all kinds of gems on what you should be doing to not only protect the most important assets in your business, but also the easiest ways for you to get started, as well as the resources you should be using. Even though I've been in business for years, I walked away learning something from this conversation, so I think you will as well. And even though these topics don't always sound exciting and fun, I think that you will enjoy this episode and she breaks it down in a way that's easy to understand. So if you've been considering protecting an asset of your business, filing a trademark, a copyright, or a patent, but also if you're someone that doesn't have the money to do those things right now and you're trying to figure out how to protect yourself, this is the episode for you. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, Chandler. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to do this interview. I think... This is such a necessary topic, and I think a lot of people don't even know where to go for the guidance on trademarks and just all the legal stuff when it comes to business, and it feels very um, overwhelming for some of us. I know for me, like, it used to feel very overwhelming, so I was like, we have to have this conversation, so thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. That's so true. I feel like I see so many Facebook groups of, you know, just like trademark Facebook groups or whatever they are. And I'm like, oh no, there's so much wrong and bad advice circulating. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm like, I feel like with all of the most important things that you need to know about your business, whether it's taxes or, you know, anything legal, whatever, it's like, it's always a bunch of bad information out there. It is, it is. Yeah, so I'm excited to get into this. Um, But before we even get into that, what even made you get like become a lawyer and what made you specifically focus in on like business contracts and trademarks and all of that? So I, way back when I originally went to law school for father's rights. So growing up, you know, my parents went through a divorce and this and that. And I, my dad was just really there for me. So I was very passionate about father's rights. So that's what initially drove me to go to law school. And then when I was, you know, in the family law area, learning about it, this and that, I was no, I can't do it. I can't live in a triggered state every single day. So when I, you know, continued through law school and then post law school, I thought that I wanted to get into criminal law because I would be a great litigator. I would absolutely kill it in the courtroom, but I was mentored by a criminal defense attorney and it was a lot of fun, but we were bouncing around from court to court all day long. And the lifestyle of the fact that We didn't even have time to stop and eat. We were on the go for, I kid you not, 12 hours. I was like, this is just a bit ridiculous. And this is not how I envision my day to day looking like. And so, you know, I thought to myself, what do I want my life to look like? What, what do I want for my life? What do I want my life to look like? And I decided to reverse engineer that. So instead of trying to, you know, just find a job and this and that, I wanted to make my job work for myself and for my life. And that's how I fell into the world of intellectual property, because it is virtual, you can work from anywhere, uh, you're not tied to one location, you don't have really strict deadlines with court, and all that type of stuff. So it's a really a kind of a full circle moment, because What I wanted to do was reverse engineer my life. And now 
I work with entrepreneurs who are after that same lifestyle, you know, the freedom lifestyle, whether that's in, in time and money and location, whatever that looks like for them, we can really relate on that level. Oh, that is so true. I never thought about that, but you're right. Like that is the main point of being an entrepreneur is to like create the life that you really want. And you can't do that effectively without the stuff that you do, but that's also how you got here. So that's, that's beautiful. I love that. That is so dope. So, okay. When you got into this and you started working with all these different business owners, what was like one of the biggest mistakes you started seeing uh, when it came to them protecting their own intellectual property? I think the biggest one would just be not doing it, simply not taking advantage of IP or leveraging IP. I think that one of the common misconceptions is that it's just not important or it's only for you know really large companies when in fact that's not the case at all i would argue it's you know it's very valuable for smaller businesses um any any size of business really because what you are building is a brand and you don't have ownership over that brand unless you take steps to protect it so it's you can invest so much time, money, resources, effort into building a brand. And if you don't own that brand, then what's it really worth? And so, you know, and it's not just, oh, you might not own your brand. There's consequences to not doing so. For example, people can take your brand. People can copy, you know, be copycats. They can copycat you and then build off of your reputation. They can capitalize off of that. And then what I've also seen is if you don't take steps to, it's not just about owning your brand. It's about the clearance process of making sure that no one else is using something that's the same or similar as your brand name. Because if you are, if there is another business or brand that exists out there and they own that brand and you are using something that is the same or similar, you can get in trouble for doing so. And it's not just, you know, a slap on the wrist. I've seen profits completely disengorged. So if you start a brand and you're, you're using a brand name that's similar to someone else, this person can come along and say, hey, now you owe me everything you've made using that brand name. Wow. Yikes. Yeah, it's scary. Wow. These yeah. are the things that, you know, we as attorneys on the other side of it see all the time. And we, you know, we can't dive into specifics of, you know, client scenarios and this and that due to client confidentiality. So we never divulge all of that, but it's like, this is what we work with on the daily. This is what we see on the daily. And it is mm-hmm. really scary because I think part of being a business owner is taking risks. So I'm all for taking risks, but making sure they're calculated risks. You know, it's not something to play around with when it comes to your brand, especially if it's something that you love and you would be devastated to, you know, have to let go of in the blink of an eye. Yeah, no. And I think I'll just, since you, I mean, of course, like you have uh, confidentiality with your clients. So I'm just going to throw out an example and you can tell me if this is accurate, but I heard recently that allegedly, I'll say allegedly, Um, you know, Bobby Altoff, the girl that just started that podcast, that's really popular. Um, they said that there was a situation like that with Drake, where he basically said that, you know, he owns the, the rights to the music that he played on when he was on the episode. And then they asked for her to give all the profits that she's made off of that episode over, 
or to take the episode down completely and she had to take it down. So is that an example of something like that? Like the intellectual property? Kind of, yes, in the realm of copyright. So from my understanding, what happened in that scenario was I, if you saw clips of the podcast that, mm-hmm. you know, or TikTok or whatever, at one point he put on um, Tyga's Rack City bitch song, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> and it kept going and going and going. And mm-hmm. playing that, and they're wondering now if that was a strategic move on his part because he's, very well seasoned. He is a seasoned artist. Like he knows at this point what is and isn't allowable. I mean, at that point you have to know what you can do in the realm of IP. And that song would be, Tyga would own that. And so because he played that and then they're posting that and Tyga didn't give permission to license that song or use the song in the podcast, um, the jury's still out on who essentially submitted the copyright uh, claim. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, people are alleging that it was Drake, kind of a strategic move on his end. Yeah. I mean, that's how it seems. Uh, But, you know, like you said, we we don't know who, you know, sent out the the claim, but ultimately yeah that makes total sense and um he definitely i feel like he definitely would know like he's been doing this for how long now he knows what's allowed and what's not so um but yeah okay so i guess going into that a bit further like what are some um different examples of like how you can protect your intellectual property like you know because you mentioned copyrights i know people can do trademarks are there any other things that people can do Yep. So there's three different types of intellectual property. There's patents, trademarks, and copyrights. Patents are going to be for inventions. Um, That's, for example, like the light bulb, the microwave. Those are things that, you know, they have a patent on those creations. Trademarks are going to protect the name of brands. So it's going to protect things like Uh, you know, the name of your brand, your logo, your slogan, your tagline, um, your course, your membership, the name of your podcast, things like that. And then copyright protects content. So it would protect, for example, the audio or the video of this podcast being recorded right now. It would protect songs. It would protect captions, blogs, emails, website copy, um, books, things of that nature photos got you okay okay that makes total sense okay so for example because I wanted to as you were saying that like I thought about something that I keep running into and I'm, I'm sure other creators run into this issue as well so with wealthy women like I just got the trademark for it thank god um <laughs> so we've been trying to get this for a minute but um be beyond that though I think with branding you know wealthy women considering that like we haven't been doing physical products and it's been more so content centered so far um i the the, one of the issues i keep running into is that other people see what i'm doing or whatever and then they start trying to do similar content so like i started doing series on tiktok where i was like how to be a wealthy woman then other people start doing series and they're like how to be a wealthy woman and i'm like this is like taking away from my brand Um, And I get that, like, most people don't really see it that way. They're like, if you don't have a physical product or whatever, it's not a thing. But it's like, this very much is a thing. 
So I'm like, is that even something that you can protect or is that just like free game? So you can protect the videos themselves where, where it becomes a fine line and the lines get blurred and it gets a little bit more of a gray area is the fact that information is free. So we can't prevent people from sharing, you know, tips around finances or wealth or things like that, but we can prevent them from doing it the exact same way you do. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, so would that be like, I come up with a methodology or something and then, yeah. okay. Because for example, for example, I am, you know, I have contract templates. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that other lawyers can't sell contract templates. It just means they can't sell ones that are the exact same as mine. Or even let's, you know, let's make it course-based. Um, I, I, you know, have different courses talking about the legal stuff, say what about trademarks, right? I can't prevent another attorney from coming in and also having a course educating about trademarks, but they wouldn't be able to do it the same way I do. And that comes down to how is it presented in, you know, the presentation materials themselves and also the, the words I'm saying, you can't word for word repeat what I'm saying and how I'm saying. Got you. Okay. That makes total sense. So (laughs) going over into contracts a bit more, what are like three of the main contracts that you feel like small businesses should be using in their business? So if you're a service provider, by far, you need some type of service agreement. So that's going to vary depending on your niche. If you're a designer, you're going to want a designer services agreement. If you're a copywriter, you're going to want a copywriting service agreement. If you're a coach or a consultant, you will want those types of service agreements. But anytime you're working with someone, whether it's in you know a one-on-one capacity or group capacity, you're going to want to ensure that you have some type of agreement in place for that. Another one is going to be digital terms of purchase. So passive income, right? We see a lot of people selling different things, uh, digital products, et cetera, et cetera, whatever type of passive income that people are selling, they're going to want digital terms of purchase to ensure that they are protected and that transaction is secure. It's in other words, those are a quote unquote checkbox contract. So you know how whenever you're checking out, you have to check the box on something. That's essentially what they are. And you are agreeing to whatever those terms are. So inside of those, it should, of course, designate the fact that whatever you're selling is your intellectual property. Um, It should discuss refunds, uh, terms of the sale, what is and isn't included, things of that nature. And then the other big ones that I see that are missing are website documents. So for your website, you should always have a privacy policy, which is legally required by law and also terms of use. They seem like just boring, pesky documents, but they are really important uh, and they govern how people use your site, what is and isn't permissible. And I think they, I mean... They add to a sense of professionalism also when you have them on your site, which is always good. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think um, the, what did you call that that second contract? I can't remember what you called it. Digital terms of purchase. Yes, digital terms of purchase. When I was selling courses, um, that was something that a lot of people would get frustrated about. And I think consumers, like us as consumers, 
we have to like really um, do our due diligence when we're purchasing things because we are so used to checking that box, but then a lot of people would later realize that they didn't actually read what was there and then they get frustrated with us for not reading it. And I'm like, it was there. You, you actually agreed to it. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Yeah. And so those things are important, though, because if I hadn't had it there, I probably would have ran into so much more back and forth issues with customers, you know, if I hadn't already done the work to put it there, you know. And even like, you know, now in today's age, you see people always trying to do like stripe disputes and like disputing Mm -hmm. different things, right? If you have those terms of purchase, that's what's going to protect you from stripe you know, citing or favoring the person who disputed whatever charge it was. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so important because I think a lot of people don't realize, um, especially the consumers, they do not realize that when you file a dispute, we not only have to refund you, we also get charged an additional fee. And so it's so important to have these things because that right there also too, it just makes you look like a high risk, um, you know, seller and they don't want to, Stripe will not want to work with you if you keep getting disputes. So having that information to prove that you are doing the right stuff and you have everything in place is so important. And yeah, we used to have to like make sure that we had all of our, like all of our IP and all of that like laid out and the screenshots of everything, just like all this evidence um, when we would have to fight those disputes. But yeah, it's so important and it helps you tremendously so you can win those disputes. Yeah. Yeah, this is a paper trail. I mean, I even see people disputing charges through through Stripe when it comes to like one-on-one services. Mm -hmm. And so that's another one. Like you also equally need a client service agreement. Otherwise you're going to spend all this time, you know, putting in work, doing whatever it is for whoever you're working with. And then for them to go and dispute a charge, I'd be pissed. So I can only only imagine yeah yeah and I think like people just don't even like people some some customers they will literally come into things knowing that they're going to dispute it you know they're they're knowing that they're like not going to follow through on whatever it was that they agreed to and so it's just like unfortunately you can do all the right branding all the right messaging and try to attract the perfect ideal client but you're still eventually going to run into somebody that is going to do something like that, you know? And so you have to have these things in line to protect yourself. And another just note, because I see it all the time, is the people that you bend over backwards for are the ones that are going to cause you the most troubles. Every single time. I've seen it with myself. I've seen it with my clients. It's true. Through and through. Yeah, for sure. Every single time. The ones that are easy breezy, those are the ones that are like, there to like do what they said they were going to do. They're going to follow through, do their part. They're going to like really read the terms and conditions and all the stuff. And they, they just get it. Like they're going to be great clients, but there are those clients that we all get every once in a while that are just not the best. And so, yeah, I think um, a lot of times people don't even realize how important having this is like, they don't realize it until it's too late, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so let's go into trademarks a bit more because I do, um, you did mention earlier that like 
you, when you are starting your brand or whatever, you do need to make sure, even if you're not going to protect yourself, like that you're not infringing on someone else's trademark. Mm -hmm. So how would someone go about checking that and making sure that they're not, you know, tiptoeing over the line? Mm -hmm. So you can use a few things. One, you can use the trademark electronic search system. So if you type in TESS, T-E-S-S, into Google um, or USPTO TESS, it will come up. It's a free system that you can use. The issue is I see people getting very, very reliant on TESS and they're not using other methods. And it's very problematic because TESS is not the end-all be-all. So TESS gives you a narrow view like absolutely narrow view it does it gives direct hits only it does not show you variations so for example if you type in starbucks with one s all of starbucks trademarks are going to pop up if you type in starbucks with two s's nothing will pop up it will show zero results that does not mean that does not mean that you are good and in the clear to go forward and file Starbucks with two S's you I mean right absolutely you're gonna get hit with a cease and desist like overnight you know it's not gonna fly but what I see people doing is relying so heavily on tests that they're like oh we're good nothing in here you know I'm, I'm set and then they file a trademark and you're just wasting money at that point you're throwing money down the drain so right of course, the best way to do it is to work with an attorney and get a comprehensive search done. That's There's a specific software that we use that we can dive in and see all the different variations in different categories that are the same or similar. Uh, because again, when you own a trademark, it's all nuanced. But when you own a mark, you only own it in connection with how you use it. So right. marks can coexist. For example, on the flip side, if you use tests, and you type something in and there's a mark that pops up that's the same, it doesn't mean that you can't use it. It just means you have to do some more research, right? Because yeah. marks that are the same can coexist. They just have to be in separate enough categories. They have to be yeah. not similar, you know? So for example, Dove soap versus Dove chocolate. There's no likelihood confusion. That's the legal terminology. There's no likelihood of confusion there because if you type in, or if you, you know, you go to the soap aisle, you're, you're, you're going to the soap aisle for soap. You go going to the chocolate, you're going to the chocolate aisle for chocolate. You're not going to start rubbing the chocolate all over your body. Like it's soap. You're not going to eat the soap. Like it's candy. There's no likelihood of confusion among consumers there. Same thing with Delta Airlines or Delta Faucets. Mm -hmm. So two names that are the same, but they offer very different goods or services. And that's why the USPTO allows it. So using tests, again, it's going to show a direct hit. Either nothing's going to pop up or something's going to pop up. But again, that doesn't really tell you much. So yeah. best thing to do would be to get a full clearance search done with an attorney if that's not something that you're like, I'm not fully ready to invest in getting a full clearance search done, then I suggest at least talking with an attorney and consulting with an attorney. So for example, I do strategy sessions and in the strategy sessions, it's a 30 minute call and we can run searches, right? So we can do preliminary searches. It's not a full clearance search, but it's a preliminary search that's more than tests. So we're at least going to discover and find out, is there anything else out there that we think could be problematic 
for your mark? Or do we think you're, you're kind of good and clear to move forward, starting to build this brand name? Mm, no, that's, that's super helpful. And that's what I had to run into with um, wealthy women. And that's why the process took a long time because there were so many other variations of similar things. Right. And so, and they weren't even using it the way I was trying to use it, but it was like, we kept going back and forth. So um, now some of those variations have expired. <laughs> and so now I can go back in and get more categories and stuff, thankfully, because like, like I said, this process took a while. So while that was happening and the, the, now the process is complete, now I'm like, oh, good. Now I can go back and get even more stuff because, you know, I waited it out. But yeah, I think that is so important, though, because even with my lawyer that helped me that I, I thank her so much because I was just wanting to jump right in and do all, go for all the categories. And she was like, no, 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 let's can't just, just start here. <laughs> yeah. She was like, that's a waste of money. Let's just start here because I did. She's like, I just don't even think that that's going to happen right this second. So let's just start here and then we'll move forward. And see, that's where the strategy element comes into play because that attorney mm -hmm. recognize these marks are currently live, but they're in between their maintenance dates and they're probably not going to file. Oh, look, they didn't file. So now their marks are going to be dead. So now after a certain period of time, you can file. So it's just, I feel like, not I feel like, I know there is so much strategy that goes into filing trademark applications. For yeah. example, in your instance, you know what I mean? There's, there's footwork that has to be done and it's like playing chess. And I think that what people... What I see a lot of people doing is thinking because they can go online and file the application themselves, that it's just a simple filing. Like it's just a simple yes. filing. Yes. Yeah. Cool. And I'm like, okay, first of all, this is the prosecution of a trademark. It's the prosecution of intellectual property. It's a big deal. I mean, you're starting, you're opening a case, essentially. You're starting a legal proceeding. You are verifying things under oath. And even things like when it comes to dates, like when you file a trademark application, I'm sure you had to provide your attorney with dates of first use. And the date of first use anywhere, the date of first use in commerce, people don't necessarily understand what those terms mean. And then they will submit wrong dates. And then when they submit their proof, there's something wrong with their proof and then they can't there's just it's so many <laughs> it is and so I see so many people like oh I just file trademarks like you know willy-nilly all the time it's it's fine on my own and I'm like oh my god like you're, it's just so messy <laughs> it's so messy and I think that's another thing people don't realize is it takes a while because it's like there's a lot of people trying to file trademarks so it even ha it has to go through the first clearance of like okay we've actually looked at this and reviewed it and now it's under review. And then after that, it's like, okay, then they have to put out a thing letting all the other people know that have similar trademarks. Hey, do you want to fight this? <laughs> right? Do you want to? So it's like a whole thing and it takes a long time. And having to sit here and try to figure out how to provide the right stuff and like when and all that, it's like, why not just go to somebody that is a professional at this and knows the process in and out? So that as things come along, yes, it takes a while and there will be months where it's like nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden there's like so much stuff you have to like provide back to back. So you just need to have somebody that's ready to go and that knows like ahead of time, this is what you need to be preparing. This is what needs to happen. This is all the information I need. And that makes the process so much smoother. It's like almost like insurance because it's 
Sure. Say someone goes on, they file on their own, right? You can go on, you can file your trademark on your own. But at, like you were saying, the process takes so long. So aside from the fact that it's a serious legal proceeding, it takes so long. And the line, when you think of the process, you're basically waiting in a lunch line. That's how I explain it. All these applications are in a lunch line and you're waiting to get your food. And when you file, you are at the very back of that line. And if you're at the very back of that line, you know, it takes about a year and a quarter for your mark to get registered minimum. And so by the time you're here at the 10, 11 month mark where your application is going to get reviewed by an examining attorney, at this point, they could say, no, there's something wrong with your application. Well, right, you just start over. You just spent like 11 months, almost a full year building a brand. Now, you might not even be able to own. You wasted time. You wasted a year of building a brand for yeah. what? This could have been yeah. avoided. And then, even if it's something that's like, okay, you could still own it, but there was another problem that's not fixable with the application. So you have to file and start over. Okay, yeah. that's another clearance process because you have to make sure in those 11 months, no one else filed something the same or similar because if someone else got in line right after you and you have to start over, you're behind them now. Their application is going to get reviewed first and you're SOL. Yep. No, that's exactly what happened to me. The first time we filed was back in 2021. And then like six months later, we realized, oh my gosh, something is wrong with the application. <laughs> and then we had to re get in line again. Yeah. And then, of course, go through that whole process, wait, and then that, that whole period of waiting to see, is anyone going to try to fight it? Is anyone going to try to say I'm infringing on that? Like, it's just, it was just a lot. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I wanted to scream. But I was like, you know what? At least I have help and I'm not trying to figure this out on my own. It is one of those things yeah. where you you don't know what you don't know. And then once you know, you're like, oh, <laughs> okay, I get it. Like, yeah. there's, there's so much. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, it's definitely one of those things where it's like you have to be patient and you have to like make sure that you aren't super emotional about it because it can go a totally different way than what you're expecting. You're thinking this is going to be like a fun process of getting your brand, you know, secured and it might not be a fun process, <laughs> you know. Right. There's, you know, and it brings me to another topic. There's so many companies, larger companies. Well, this brings me to two things, actually. Number one, mm -hmm. the real estate for IP is dwindling. Like so many applications mm -hmm. are being filed. It's dwindling. There's only so many words that we have in our vocabulary, right? I mean, unless people need to start making words up, those are very strong marks actually. But the real estate for intellectual prop property is dwindling. I mean, much like real property. And the thing is with real property, it's very similar in the sense to intellectual property because it's not tangible. You don't physically, you know, you can't hold it. And I think that's why people don't necessarily see the same type of value in it, but it's very similar in the sense that would you let someone move into your home randomly? Like if you, you know, Friday morning, you start hearing stuff going on downstairs, you roll out of bed, walk downstairs to get your morning coffee and you see random people trying to move into your house. You're like, what are you doing? Like, get out. You're trespassing. Right. Right. Same thing with your brand, right? You can't let people just trespass on your brand. So right. there's that side of it. And then also there's so many larger companies that are 
bullies. Like I see so many larger companies just bully smaller businesses unrightfully to where I don't believe the USPTO would side with them or agree with it. But the thing that these larger companies may have that the smaller companies don't necessarily have is they have unlimited pockets. They can just keep throwing money at a problem or not even a problem. They can keep throwing money just at a situation that they want to go away. And then the small business is left in the shoes of I either keep having to pull out of my pocket that isn't as deep to try and fight this, which yes, I probably will win, but it's going to cost me so much to even get there. It's right. Frustrating. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that can take a business out and it's not even fair. It's just not fair at all. So, okay. So that is another question I had was like, if you are a small brand, how can you protect your, you know, cause there are big brands out here that will see what you're doing and just copy it and take it. So like, how can you protect your own IP or your trademark when you are a smaller brand and you're like, I don't necessarily have a ton of money that I can spend on legal fees of trying to fight them, you know? Yep. So I would say, I mean, that's hard because there's a lot of resources, right? I would dive into as many educational resources as possible. That's why we put out a course, we put out asset protection program. So it helps people DIY the process just like I would, but they're doing it in an informed way where they understand mm. the strategy behind it so they can utilize yeah. it. You're not just, you know, throwing stuff at the wall and hoping that it sticks. Um, mm-hmm. I would dive into as many educational resources as possible and I would file. Okay. Okay. That makes total sense. And also for those listening to this, my dog is like, jumping and throwing his body at the door because I have him out of the thing. So if you hear like a loud boom, it's him. <laughs> so I apologize. He's like having a tantrum. Your dog is Thank so you. I'm obsessed. Thank you so much. Yeah, he's just having a moment right now. So just ignore the booms in the background. <laughs> okay, so once you have like, you know, your patent or your copy, well, I guess you would do different things with different ones. But like, Let's just start with trademarks. So if you have a trademark, what are some different things you can do with your trademark? Leverage it. So you there's opportunities to license your mark out. There's opportunities to monetize it in that way when you're licensing it out for uses, things of that nature. When you are building brand assets, it's something that you will, it, it's truly a business asset that if you get to the point where you're ready to sell your business, It's going to add to that valuation, number one, but also it's going to make your business that much more appealing because if you're looking, if someone's looking at buying a business as whether they're an investor or whether they're trying to buy you out entirely and they want to buy the business, who's going to buy a brand that isn't even owned? That's very risky, right? That's like one of the first things I would look at if I was trying to buy a business because I'm like, this is just a whole new level of risk for me. And they don't know necessarily what they're getting into. Um, So also that you want to make sure that you're monitoring it. That's the other thing. It's great that you have a registration, but just again, like I was saying, how you wouldn't let people move into your house some Friday morning. You don't want people moving in on your intellectual property. So you also need to monitor it and make sure that people aren't trying to copy you or they aren't popping up. And if they are, you have to enforce that and say, Hey, get out (laughs) exit stage left you don't belong here 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. That's good, actually, because I think a lot of us feel like it's like a one and done thing where you just get the trademark, or you get the copyright or whatever. And then it's like, okay, you're good. And it's like, no, you do need to do some checks, you know, and how often would you say people need to check? I always say, well, two things. I'll, I always say it's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen, right? These things yeah. don't necessarily prevent them from happening. They help as a deterrent factor. They help deter people from doing so, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean no one's ever going to do it. It just gives you a solution when they do. It gives you a, a leg up and it says you have a right of recourse. You have something you can do about it instead of just being helpless. It puts you in that position of power to actually do something about it. Um, and then when it comes to monitoring, so it depends on your strategy for monitoring, right? Like there's different, I talked about in APP and the asset protection program, like different softwares that people can use um, to monitor their mark. Or you can, of course, work with an attorney. Generally, they're not super expensive per month to monitor your mark, but that's something we do. You know, we monitor marks and then we send out a monthly report saying, hey, here's your report. There are no marks that are of concern or hey, here's your report. We don't like this mark. We should consider taking some type of enforcement action. Mm, okay. I like that. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I need to look into that because I didn't even know that was a thing you could do is like have somebody check on it consistently. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm learning things here. Okay. So... <laughs> Okay, so what are some resources, um, you know, because like I said, all of this can feel really overwhelming for people that are just like getting into it. And they're like, Oh, my gosh, I don't even know where to start. And it feels like it's costly because you know, this, this is a long process. Um, so what are some resources that um, people can use if you know, they want to keep you or someone else on retainer? Or like, you know, just like, where would you recommend people get started of, of trying to get um, their IP? you know, secured for their business. Yeah, absolutely. So I think honestly, just making a relationship with an attorney is going to be the first step, right? Everything is okay. going to be that, that, that foundational and you want someone in your corner that you trust. And also, I mean, for me personally, I'm probably never going to appeal to a really old generation. They're, you know, they're not going to want to work with someone like me. Um, they're going to want to go for the stereotypical law firm style, but that's not necessarily what people want nowadays. They want someone who is convenient. They want someone who's going to talk to you like a normal person. They're not going to throw out a bunch of legalese at you, words you don't understand. Um, so that's kind of the style that we take. So I think step number one is to find an attorney that you like, that you vibe with, that you trust, and really build that connection. So then they're in your corner whenever something does arise. Um, I know that, you know, for us, we always have, we have a strategy call that's like our introduction, and that's how we build the relationship that allows us to learn more about your business and kind of dive in. And then once that is booked, you know, if someone reaches out, hey, I need a trademark, then we get started on that for them. If someone reaches out and says, hey, I need this, like, what do you think? we can kind of answer questions and guide you. It's not like you have to rebook a strategy call every time. Um, nice. But it's really about forming that relationship. I love that. I really love that. So, okay. Tell me about some of your programs and stuff, because I know that you have a program like for, you know, do it yourself stuff. And then you have some contracts that people can get like contract templates or something like that. So can you show, tell us a bit about that for those that are like, I don't know if I'm ready to book, like to keep you on retainer or work with you like that, but maybe they're just like, I need to figure this out and get my feet wet a little bit and then, you know, see where I can go from there. 
Yep. So we have a shop called the Lethal Legal Store, right? The Lethal Legal, mm-hmm. Lethal Legal Shop. And we sell a variety of different contract templates and courses on there. So there's all different types of templates from the service agreements to the digital terms of purchase, to the website documents, to um, podcast releases, to group program agreements, to, I mean, just pretty much everything you could possibly think of, it's in that shop. And then we also have a course on uh, trademarks. So it's called the Asset Protection Program. And it walks you through A through Z, every single thing that I do when I file a trademark for a client. We show you the internal softwares that we use and we live file an application. So we show you exactly how to do it step-by-step and we walk people through the strategy as well. We give, um, you know, proposed descriptions because you have to have a proper description when you submit. We show how to gather evidence when you submit your trademark application. I mean, it's a foolproof method. It's insane. Everyone who has taken it has filed so many trademarks successfully. It's like one of the things I'm most proud of ever creating. I I just, I'm like, I know it's that good. Um, And it's fun because then once you have that, it's rinse, wash, repeat, right? So once you have the strategy, once you know how to do it, you can do it again and again and again, and you don't have to file a trademark application every single, or you don't have to um, hire an attorney every single time you need a trademark. The one-time fee, you know how to do it. And it's some, it's a skill that will serve you for the rest of your life. So I've had people who, you know, they have asset protection program. And if there's a situation that they're like, I think this is the answer, but I would really like your guidance on it or something like that. Then uh-huh. what they can do is they can, of course, get the program. And then when that situ- situation arises, book a strategy call. You know what I mean? So it's not yeah. necessarily um, you have to hire someone every single time, but you do need that you need that guidance. You need to know how to do it. No. Yeah. That, that right there is like amazing. Cause like you said, it, sometimes you want to keep filing different things. And so just knowing how to do it yourself and just get it done and defend yourself and all of that, that is really good. That's priceless. Honestly. I mean, because the thing is, is it's, I get, I get that legal stuff is not cheap. It's not like going out and getting a coffee right? Like you, it's not something you can just do every day. I fully get that. But when it comes to your brand, that is something you want to protect. You know, people are investing so much into branding, into copywriting, into into photography, design, all of these things to really build and amplify their brand. But if you're building this and you don't own it, that's a really dangerous territory because all of those investments you made could, you know, go down the drain. So being able to even file on your own, but understand how to do it and file in a way where, you know, it continues to grow with you. Like you were saying, you know, you filed in one category for now and you plan on expanding. It allows you to do that without having to call up your attorney every couple months and be like, I need another trademark. And then it's a whole nother fee, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now I'm like, should I sign up? <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, exactly. Like, cause things over time, things change, your business will expand, you might start new businesses, all kinds of things, you know, and just having that knowledge in your back pocket. It's like, it helps you a lot. And then also too, I'm really big on like, I, I love hiring people and I love um, being able to outsource things. But a lot of times you still kind of need to know a little bit of something 
in order to make sure that they're properly doing their job, you know, whatever it is that you ask them to do. And so if you know nothing about nothing, you end up sometimes in really sticky situations where like, just like with the trademark, if I hired somebody and they really weren't the best at it, it's like, I could have ended up wasting all this time and still left with nothing. <laughs> That's how I feel about LegalZoom. Okay. Like LegalZoom has. Right. Right. Such a waste. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not it. It's not. I will go on a tangent about that one. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of companies that are just document preparation companies and. Mm-hmm. I I understand that it was meant to really help entrepreneurs and fill a gap, but it's ended up doing more damage than good because it makes entrepreneurs think they're safe and they're good and they're solid and they're set. And then it turns out it's, that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's why we need people like you. So, (laughs) but yeah. Okay. So one question that I always have to ask everyone that comes on the show is, what does it mean to you to be a wealthy woman? I love this question. You know, I think that being happy for me personally is what makes me feel like a wealthy woman, right? It's not always just about the money. Of course, you want that safety and that stability, but you also want to be happy in your day-to-day life because I have been at the place where I've been so burnt out and I've been at my computer all day, every day, and I haven't been able to get away or live a life. And that's no way to live either. So I think that for me, truly being wealthy is of course, having the money to enjoy my lifestyle, but also the time to be able to do the things I love and spend time with the people I love also. Yes, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, as someone that's like been through a lot, been up, up, up and down, down, down. I'm like, whether I was up or down, being happy was one of the most valuable things that like I would hold on to, if, you know, like out of everything. It's like being happy and feeling peace and being healthy. Like those are the top things. So, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah that was a great answer. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being on the show, girl. If people want to work with you, if they want to keep up with you, if they're just like, she's my type of girl, how do they um, find you on social media or how do they work with you? Yep, absolutely. So my website is yourlethallegal.com. And then on Instagram, I am at Lawyer Chandler J. So I love when people connect with me on Instagram. So if you are following me from this podcast, pop in my DMs and say hello. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for being on and all the stuff that she just mentioned will be in the description box um, on this episode. So yeah, 